Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Scott Chaloner. The podcast, just like the Leaders' Council itself, is all about recognising and celebrating those people who keep this great country running. We exist to give leaders a voice outside of their own organisations and to support them in the same way that they support their staff every single day of the week. So if you are in a leadership position yourself and would like to have your voice heard on the national stage, then please do go to leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Now, each week on this programme, I'm joined by a different chief executive, CFO, chief operating officer, director, secretary, chairman or president in the aim of truly discovering who those people are that get up every single morning and make this country work. And in a week where the prime minister finally unveiled his COVID-19 lockdown exit strategy, there is hope that we can look ahead to the future, as can business, with some real optimism. That is, if we manage to stick to those plans this time around. While all of that is going on, we welcome Alison Hesketh, Director of Timefinders, onto the programme this week. Timefinders is a provider of practical help and emotional support services for older people in changing circumstances, based in North Wiltshire and operating across the south of England. Timefinders also offers a full advocacy service to help elderly people make important decisions about their future if they are to become unwell or lose capacity to make decisions for themselves. Uh, Alison, a very warm welcome to yourself and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Scott. I'm delighted to be here. It's a real pleasure for us welcoming you onto the airwaves as well. Now, Alison, it has been an incredibly challenging year for the care industry, hasn't it, since COVID-19 first arrived in the UK, a little over a year ago now. And I feel it would be remiss of me if I didn't ask you just to what extent this whole pandemic has affected you and your organisation, first and foremost. Yes, well, um, the first lockdown, of course, everything everything stopped. Although, as an organisation that helps people to move, we did have a client with a um, a completion date, so we were working during the first two weeks of lockdown, which was a very very strange experience with literally nobody else around at all. Um, for our clients in residential care, I can only say that it has been devastating. Um, there is an assumption that everybody in care has dementia and there is an, an uncomfortable feeling that people therefore think that people with dementia aren't really going to notice what's going on. And I'm really glad to see more um, effort being put into or more recognition of how difficult it has been for those people in care, whether or not they're living with a cognitive impairment, to be isolated from friends and family for such a long time. We've certainly seen um, a deterioration in our clients that we've not been able to visit regularly throughout the period. And uh, certainly our uh, anecdotal evidence from from, um, from family members have, have also had that difficulty. What's been particularly hard, I think, is the, the inability to allow families to be with somebody right at the end of their life, even if they weren't dying of the COVID infection and I fear that you know that, that, that there are a lot of people that have had a very traumatic um, time at the end of, of, of a loved one's life that, that, that is going to affect them very deeply. It is for sure. It's been an incredibly challenging period for those in care and indeed their families. But just going back to something that you said um, during that, um, do you think that 
perceptions of the care industry are beginning to change as a result of what's been coming out of the sector during COVID? And do you think that's a positive change, if so, or maybe more negative? I think at the very start, it was almost wholly negative. And I think that the residential care sector is going to have a big job in building up people's confidence in, in, in care homes again. We can look back and we can understand what's happened. I do personally believe we need to examine and have a have a sensible discussion about what happened. You know, this is not this shouldn't be about blame, mm. um, it, 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 because that's we, we're never going to get to the truth of what happened if, it, if people are passing around for, for somebody to scapegoat. Um, but we need to have a, a, a very you know intelligent discussion about what happened, because I still don't think that the lessons have been learned from that from that first period. I also think that there was a public perception that care homes were part and parcel of the NHS or mm. or at least a government controlled sector. And of course the realization that there are all these care homes that are independent, that they are they are businesses, they are charities, they're voluntary organizations, um, they're small businesses, large businesses. Uh, I think that has been um, um a shock to, to to many people, and and therefore the responses of different organisations with different levels of funding have been, you know, if some have been able to afford PPE and have had the foresight to get that PPE in early, others have not been quite so on the ball. We need to understand why and 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 what they can be, what can be done to help them, you know, recognise how things have got to change if there's a future pandemic or if we get various different COVID variants. So I think think that it has been very negative. I think that um, care homes are trying desperately to reassure people about the level of care. And I think one thing that is recognised, I hope, is the unbelievable dedication that individual carers have shown. Um, individual carers have perhaps come out of this better than care home managers and care home owners. Mm. That might be a bit controversial to say, but uh, you know, from from our perspective, the feedback that we're getting is there is universal admiration for the dedication of carers. Some of whom have literally moved out of their own home and moved into the care home. They've slept on floors, you know, in order to not risk bringing COVID into a care home, and you know, given the low status of carers in this country, you know, we owe them an enormous amount of thanks for that. It's an incredible amount of dedication and leadership that these people have taken upon themselves, isn't it? And over the last few months on the programme, we have been actively trying to find that silver lining in what has been a dark and dense cloud over all of us. And the commitment Mm -hmm. that they've shown has been an incredible positive. It's that sense that when the chips are down in times of adversity, people are really bringing the best out in themselves, aren't they, in that sense? Yes, yes, the vast majority, and I think, and, and I think that is something that that, that can be that can be positive. Um, you know, uh, we've also we've also relearned about basic hygiene. You know, I was staggered to learn that the incidence of norovirus, you know, which every single year care homes and hospitals and schools are closed because of norovirus. Uh, the, the rate of norovirus has dropped by something like 85%. And that's 
probably just because we're all washing our hands more, mm. you know. Um, so I, I think just little things like that, we should we should be taking on to the future and saying this is a really positive thing because norovirus is really horrible mm. and it closes care homes and it isolates people even only for a short period of time. But any isolation is a bad thing. So, you know, have we learned something that means that we can knock on the head? Um, you know, the, the fact that we've got a vaccine all the, you know, all the talk a year ago was, oh, it's going to be at least two years. It's probably mm. going to be three. It's probably not going to work anyway. And here, what, we vaccinated nearly 20 million people in this country, you know, and the results have been, that's just so exciting about what we can achieve when everybody works together. Uh, you know, I find that tremendously exciting. And remaining very much on those positives, one thing that this crisis certainly seems to have done as well is really make people rethink their thoughts on care provision and indeed for those in care, what they want from the care that they're receiving and indeed whether their residential settings that they're currently living in are right and suitable for them. And interestingly enough, and this is where we can look again to the future and maybe improve on this, there are quite a few people out there, aren't there, who feel that that's not necessarily the case. And we'll bring attention now for the listeners to a recent survey that was published by the Associate Retirement Community Operators. And that uncovered, didn't it, Alison, that almost 90% of people think that the government should widen housing options for the elderly, including those receiving care. And that very same survey also found that over half of older people are interested in moving to new accommodation but lack sufficient local downsizing options. What are your thoughts on that? I I, I was not at all surprised by the findings of that report. Um, there there isn't enough suitable housing for older people or or for people with with disabilities either. And a lot of the government policy has been about encouraging and, and enabling young people at the start of their housing ownership, if you like, um, to to be able to buy or to, to, to rent suitable accommodation without actually realising that there is a very large cork in the top of the bottle. And that is a large number of older people living in homes that are too large for them that they actually want to move out of. I, I don't think... Um, you know, anybody should go around, you know, pointing at an older person and saying, "You, you live in a, you live in a home. You've, you've got to, you've got to move to somewhere smaller." That that um, research states very clearly that people are looking to move somewhere that's more manageable because there is a realization that the the, the more appropriate your physical accommodation is for you, the more independent you can remain for longer. And that coupled with the fact that undoubtedly people are frightened about moving into care. Most people, when you ask them, do not want to have to move into care or even worse, be put into care. And there are some brilliant domiciliary and living care providers. Not all are great. Some are absolutely marvellous. Um, who, who can enable somebody to live in their own home. It may not be the home that they're living in right now, but to live in their own home for as long as they live. And that's what most people want. But that takes planning and it takes forethought. And it does take government policy. Mm. And I think if you look at, at, at people in rural communities, it's very difficult to find accommodation in your own community that you could move to. And what's devastating for people is they have to move if they have to move out of their local community and it's very difficult when you're in your late 70s 80s 90s 
to build a new community around you when you're somewhere completely new, even if it's only 15 minutes down the road. Um, so the whole provision of, of housing for the elderly, I think, again, could be a very, very exciting prospect because it takes the cork out of the bottle. It releases those family houses, which in turn releases the more, you know, the, the smaller accommodation, which in turn enables, you know, younger people to, to move into the right accommodation. I think it's a bonus all the way around. Certainly for the retirement community sector, it is important to assess that demand, isn't it, in rural and village locations where there tend to be an older demographic. And expanding provision in town and city centre settings is equally as important. But the government, as you say, can really step in and help make that happen. It can encourage the development of a wide range of housing options for elderly people, including Mm -hmm. those where care is available for those who need it. But there's also more that they can do as well. Yes, yes, I do. And I think it's worth remembering that a a housing development that's suitable for an older person is suitable for somebody with disabilities. And, you know, although that's not my area of expertise, I I know simply from working with communities to help create dementia-friendly communities, once you've got a dementia-friendly community, that is more friendly for people with with, um, physical or other mental disabilities. It's better for for young parents and children in, in in, in push chairs, it benefits the whole community. So um, the, the 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 concentration on on making housing of whatever sort suitable people is is enormously important. And and I think the government's missing a trick if it doesn't make that part of this rebuilding our way out of the COVID economic crisis. You know, it, 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 and and it ties into the green agenda of, uh, as well of making sure that that you know homes are homes are as, as near as possible carbon neutral and you know, don't contribute to light pollution you know all sorts of things there's a fantastic opportunity for somebody with a bit of creativity to get involved here Mm. It's critical, isn't it? Because if we look at this situation in the context of the current pandemic as well, you could argue that that issue of suitable housing does have an impact on people's mental health and it increases the likelihood of older people maybe suffering physical accidents at home, them having to go to hospital perhaps, and then a greater risk of them maybe contracting COVID. Um, From your experience, do you think that there has been a mental health issue among older people in recent months relating to this problem? Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly, um, the the lack of physical touch has been has been massive. Um, I think it's had a massive effect on people. And um, you you could, when we have been allowed to visit some of our clients in residential care who do have cognitive impairments, the the desire they have just to hug you or to, just to lean against you or just touch your hand, which of course you're not allowed to do. Mm. It's really, really difficult to prevent that happening. Um, is is um, it, It's devastating, you know, and, and, and the idea that, you know, after the 8th of March we'll be allowed to hold somebody's hand, um, well, that's, you know, that's going to open the floodgates. Mm. There is some light at the end of the tunnel that we're starting to see now isn't there with the publication of Boris Johnson's exit strategy from lockdown this week um with that in mind do you think that we can start to afford to be optimistic about the future yes yes I do um I suppose I'm optimistic by nature but I think there have been some real positives 
to weigh against the devastation of the COVID pandemic. I think that um, it's a difficult topic, but people are more inclined now to talk about end of life and what they want in end of life care. It's brought up the agenda. Do you want to be resuscitated? Do you want to have artificial ventilation? You know, and that might sound like morbid subjects, but actually, again, from our work and our advocacy work, we know that people who are given the space, the safe space to talk about those those issues and to discuss their feelings and to have their opinions recorded somewhere gives me enormous peace of mind. They know that, you know, should they be unconscious and unable to say what they want, that their wishes are, are clearly, clearly recognised. And that takes away a lot of fear from, from people. So I think that that is a positive. I think from our point of view, we have realised that COVID has given people a very uncomfortable opportunity to look at their current living accommodation, but to take really pragmatic a really pragmatic view of that to say, is this suitable for me until the end of my days? You know, um, are the stairs difficult to manage? Are the trip hazards? Uh, you know, doing some research about the, the, the number of falls that result in hospitalisation, the death rate that follows severe falls, you know, resulting in a hip fracture, for example, are, are awful. Um, and most of the falls in somebody's home are preventable. So, you know, getting your accommodation right um, is is a key part of keeping your independence and keeping your mobility. And and those are very positive discussions that people are having. And as a result, we've we've had many people coming to us this year asking us to help them to find somewhere more manageable for them to live, somewhere where if they need it, they can have care at home. Um, many of them don't need that at the moment, but they're looking ahead and saying, right, well, if I do need care, I want it to be in my own home. So I want to make sure wherever I move to is suitable. Mm. And then, um, you know, us helping them with that downsizing process and getting them settled in. And just talking about time finders in a little bit more detail for a moment, I believe the establishment of your organisation initially came from a very personal experience relating to this problem, the lack of downsizing options, didn't it? Because was it when your mother was um, in her late 70s and needed help downsizing to a more manageable residence, yet there was a distinct yes. lack of such services? So that was ultimately how it all came about, wasn't it? It, it, it was, you know, um, we, my mother and I, uh, you know, managed the process between us. Um, and at, at the time, we thought, you know, I was working full time and commuting and I had two young children. Um, and we thought, you know, this is daft. There must be somebody who can help us. And I looked around and, and there was really nobody offering that sort of service. And I didn't think about it again, really, for another sort of seven or eight years until back after her death. And a very good friend who got to know my mother came to me and said, look, you know, much as I love my mother, um, if I have to spend more than half an hour in her company helping her sort out her stuff to move house, I think I'm probably going to scream. Mm. Um, you know, do you think there's something you can do? And looking around again, there was nothing available. So, and that was another thing that this latest report came out with. And in fact, the the, um, the, the parliamentary um, committee uh, on housing and older people identified was that it's not just the financial um, aspects of moving to somewhere more manageable. It's not just the lack of suitable accommodation to move into. It's the physical help with the process of downsizing, which is which is 
um, a very emotional process because mm -hmm. you are having to get rid of things that you have a, a, um, an, an attachment to. Uh, you know, it, it's that lack of that physical help which is preventing people from, from doing it. And we know that from our own experience. Mm. And I suppose having helped a member of your own family and then built that resolve to go and help others in the same way. When we think of leaders in any walks of life, we think of people who inspire others and motivate others. Is the resolve to do good for other people and resolve this problem what really inspires you and gets you out of bed every morning, would you say? I would say that the job satisfaction that I get now is bigger and better than anything I've ever experienced. And, you know, and I worked in the voluntary sector before I, I started Time Finder. So there were lots of highs there as well. But the, the excitement and happiness you, you feel when you've helped somebody for months through a process of, of, of difficult decision-making and you have set out their new home in the way that they want and you see them walk in the door for the first time and literally you see the weight of worry lift from their shoulders um it's the most unbelievable feeling that you can possibly get it's it's, it's brilliant and reflecting on the work that you've done whilst this whole pandemic situation has been going on for the past 12 months, would you say that this has been sort of the greatest learning curve for you, not just in terms of learning about yourself and what you're capable of, but also about your colleagues and the people that you indeed work with and work for? Yes, I think that, again, with the first lockdown, once we completed that move, we, you know, we, we, we could only have virtual contact with our clients enabled us to look at what we wanted time finders to do to catch up on a lot of those things that we'd never had time to do before um and to really recognize that there was more that we could be doing so um we we put into uh we we, we planned a growth strategy for this year um we've sort of bucked the covid trend in that we used to run the company from a study in my home um, and we needed to bring on new members of staff. We couldn't possibly do that in a COVID safe way there. And as we made that decision, um, you know, a small office became available a few minutes down the road and we moved in at the end of September. Since then, we've gone on to recruit uh, two new members of staff, a business development advisor, Khadija, and a new time finder, Shannon. And um, we 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 we've, we've grown this this year, and we've and our growth plan extends, you know, for for the next few years to to go. It's one of the few positives, again, that we've seen coming out of the industry over this period of time. And we need to really press that home as we emerge from this pandemic, don't we? Because before COVID began, there was talk when Boris Johnson came into power of a root and branch review of the care industry, particularly on the financial side of things. And that's the sort yeah. of thing we really need to see as soon as we get out of all of this, don't we? We need to see that progress really pressed home and taken advantage of. They simply cannot kick it into the long grass anymore. Successive governments of all shades have done this. We we need to grasp this nettle. And I think the the public understanding that the care home sector is not run by the state has been a shock to people um, who who have had no knowledge of it beforehand. 
people who uh, have family members who've moved into care and have suddenly found that that family member has to sell their home to pay for that care, have understood it and have been shocked by it and have, you know, wanted something to be done about it. Um, I think that the time is right now, particularly if people do not necessarily want to have residential care in the way that it's been in the past. I, I believe the sector is going to have a big shake-up. Um, and one of the reasons for that is that there has been um, there's an unwritten contract that you go into that because of COVID, people have suddenly realised. People have often moved into retirement accommodation, um, sometimes at the luxury end of the, of, of the market, if you like. Um, they don't need a great deal of physical care, but um, they're, they're living in a community. And all of a sudden, they've discovered that somebody else has the right to tell them that they're not allowed out, that they have to stay in their own apartment, that they're not allowed in any communal areas that they've, they've enjoyed. And choosing yourself as a responsible person to do that is very different from being told by somebody that you've got to do it. Uh, you know, t t told by the, the manager of your facility that you've got to do it. And I think a number of our clients have been quite shocked by the power that somebody has to tell them exactly what they can do and what they can't do, and that their autonomy has actually been taken away from them. It's, you know, mm. and, I, and again, the people are realising that that is something that they didn't know before. They do now. And that's another reason that I think the sector has to, you know, that's something else that the sector has to address. Mm. There's plenty that we can reflect on over the course of the year, the last year, and there's plenty, of course, to come in terms of real tangible change. And just before we do wrap things up, Alison, because I am conscious that we are beginning to run short of time, I know we don't have a crystal ball before us right now, but if we could look ahead maybe 12 months' time when, fingers crossed, COVID-19 won't be an issue any longer, what does that next 12 months hold for you, for time finders and the sector, and what are you really hoping to achieve over that period? Well, for us personally, we want to be able to extend the number of plants that we help and the geographical area that we serve. Um, we are also finding a lot more people coming to us earlier in the process. They're planning ahead to say, what are my options going to be? And I say that's a really, really positive thing because people who plan ahead, you know, it, it, um, they, they do stay in control longer. As far as the sector is concerned, we haven't had any requests at all to help people to move into residential care this year. Everybody that we're talking to that might need care is looking for care at home. There are issues with that sector as well. Brexit, I dare raise the B word, mm. has not helped because many of our carers, many of these dedicated people, as I say, who gave up their home and who moved in to protect their residents, uh, come from abroad. And um, under the current immigration rules, we're not going to get anybody else to come in. So there, there's already been a shortage of carers. And that will continue. And again, does the sector and the government have to work together? Because it's not just a question of, we'll go and employ more, you know, more, more, more people from, from Britain. The unemployment rate is going up. There must be more people who can, who can turn to caring. Um, yeah. Caring is a very special job. 
it requires a you know it, it requires skills it requires those soft skills that a lot of people don't have um so you know raising the status of carers is is going to be an important thing for the next year it is the government has to not just entice carers prospective carers that is into the sector but it, it it's also important for people to actually realize that it's not an unskilled profession soft skills no. in this industry are incredibly important so that is something we really really have to see as you rightly said there it, it, it is it is a skilled job and um and i think this the, the sooner people recognize that the better well, we have seen some positive switch in perception over the course of the last year. So let us hope that that can continue in that regard and we can really start to see that change that the sector does need. Um, Alison, I have to say it's been a real eye-opening experience welcoming you onto the programme with us and a real, real pleasure having you join us. And it would Thank be you, fantastic for me to welcome you back onto the show at some point in this next year just to see how we're going with regards to the wider pandemic situation and also just gauge at that point whether we are beginning to start to see that change that we need to see within the industry as well i would i would i would love to come on and it would and it would be lovely to be able to see some some real changes taking place thank you very much once again alison it's been fantastic having you I was speaking on today's programme to Alison Hesketh, Director of Time Finders, and I hope you all thoroughly enjoyed listening to another thought-provoking interview. Until next time, since sadly all of the pubs and wider hospitality establishments remain closed, I will be sat in my front room and raising a glass to outstanding leadership, and hopefully I can reoccupy my usual corner in the Westminster Arms soon. I'm hearing, following this week, that I may only have to wait until May the 17th at the earliest for that to come round, so let us just keep our fingers crossed that that it proves to be the case um remember in the meantime until the 28th of march when we can venture outside again please stay home where you can protect others because it does make a real real difference in saving lives during such a trying time take care all of you and goodbye